The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined once again by Steve St. Angelo, who publishes the amazing SRS Rocco Report. We'll be discussing energy collapse and the economy. Hello, Steve. It's been a year since we last spoke. How is life? Oh, we're doing great. Yeah, a lot's happened. You know, it's like we're in this crazy uh, dynamic now of rapidly, rapidly changing environment. And, and so I think uh, uh, the idea that we're going to go back to, you know, when we're going to go back to normal, I, I think that's never going to happen. And so I think we're in a whole different world and how we understand what's in front of us. That's the best thing to, to do is to try to understand what is in front of us. Yeah, I would agree with you. Things are really accelerating on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, almost with the things that are happening. And, you know, for, from what I can tell, there are few out there doing the work that you are doing with the big picture focus that you have on the energy cliff and the falling energy return on investment, EROI. And we've got, we've got people talking about global warming and climate change, which I personally think is completely off the mark. But you say that we're, we've extracted all the cheap energy. And so now we're hitting the energy cliff and people can go back to our previous discussion for a more in-depth backgrounder, but it, it would be great if you can sort of resummarize the current collapse of civilization we're going through, which is due to the energy uh, energy cliff and the falling uh, return on investment, especially for some of our newer listeners. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, about, about six months ago, I, I came across a book. Um, uh, it was fascinating about how much wood was consumed during the early civilizations. And I, I always knew it was the falling energy return on investment that was one of the leading factors. That was the peak of like, let's say the, the, the late Bronze Age and, and the ancient uh, Roman Empire. And I knew it was the energy return on investment. And that is also true for the Mayan Empire. But what I didn't realize is all the metals that were produced during these times, bronze during the late Bronze Age, and then iron, and then, of course, silver, which was a big monetary asset during the ancient Roman Empire, and gold and copper. And then, you know, all the building that took place, and then they, they had to, you know, they had to bake uh, enough bread for millions of people. And so all this took wood to build ships, massive amount of wood, especially to smelt metals. And we, I had no idea that uh, the peak of the ancient Roman Empire was really due to the falling energy return on investment of its wood. And that's why they were you know, busy going up to the Germanic area, trying to win, uh, to win battles and war up in that area, because that's where they needed to access more wood. And so uh, it, it, it has always been about the energy. It, it's always been about the energy. Without energy, there's no economy. The same, and that's why we've had these collapses of these past civilizations. And that's why we're starting to see the peak now and decline of this global high-tech uh, complex uh, economy that's based upon burning a massive amount of energy every day. And so I think th this is the issue we're dealing with now. And I call it the energy cliff because uh, Lucius Seneca was an ancient Roman philosopher, said that the way to growth is slow and sluggish, but the ruin, the way to ruin is rapid. And that's that tends to be the way things play out. Nothing is kind of like a perfect uh, bubble peak or triangle. It tends to be a cliff. And I, so we're now at this point 
And I'll summarize here. We're at this point where the world is burning so much energy, 100 million barrels of oil production a day before the pandemic. And to, to continue doing that, the decline, the, the natural decline rate is so high. We've been offsetting it for years, but now we're reaching this peak. And when we start to go over, uh, then everything starts to fall apart, as we're seeing now. And, and the pandemic sped the process up. But now I think volatility, a lot more disruptions are going to continue. And when we start to see big chunks of oil production coming off offline, that's when we're going to see major disruptions that we, we haven't even begun to see yet. And that, that's, that's coming in, in the years ahead. I'm not sure if you've read or listened to my previous guest, James Howard Kunstler. He, he, what, his thesis kind of lines up pretty much with yours. He talks about the long, emer long emergency and the world made by hand. Um, and kind of what you're talking about reminds me of that classic Microsoft video game, uh, Age of Empires. I don't know if people, I mean, that's one of my favorite, but it's basically about civilizations and you have the four key resources of wood and, and, and gold and silver and, and food. And you have to go to grow, you have to go get those resources. And then in the game, as you go through the game, all of those resources end up dwindling in, in the map. And then you've got nowhere to expand to. And I'm just kind of curious, you mentioned that we're, we're, we're going off this current energy cliff of high tech uh, energy, right? Oil and, and all of these different things that we're using now. And you mentioned wood in the Roman Empire. But in history, though, were there times where, for example, the Romans went off the energy cliff because of wood, uh, but then, you know, maybe hundreds of years later, you know, the, the wood grew back and they were able to use that same uh, energy once again. Well, you see what, what happens when you, uh, we had the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire, you know, in, in, in the Byzantine area. That, that really didn't collapse because that was much smaller and, the, the, and it was more agrarian. But what the, the Western Roman Empire set up was a very, actually for its time, it was a very high-tech, uh, globalized system. They had a lot of supply chains. Like it's very similar to the late Bronze Age. They were getting uh, copper, or oh, I'm sorry, they were getting uh, tin, and you need one part of tin and nine parts of copper to make bronze. They were getting tin all the way from Afghanistan. And the, the Bronze Age took place more like in, the, in, in Greece and in the Mediterranean area, uh, Egypt, uh, Turkey, modern day Turkey, around that area. But they were, they were getting tin supplies all the way from Afghanistan. And so, you know, trying to keep the, once the, the supply chain broke down, then the, the, this very uh, complex interwoven uh, civilization uh, just started to collapse. And so I think that's, that's the problem that we're facing now. And even though wood will regrow, uh, the, the ships that are needed, the, the, these need, you know, very, and, and, and that's exactly why we, well, you know, it's true. That's exactly why we had the late Bronze Age collapse. Then we had the, the, the Greek Empire. Then we had the ancient Roman Empire. And then that collapsed. But actually, there was, there was about 100 years, I mean, about 1,000 years before we had the, uh, you know, the Renaissance in, in the Middle Ages. Uh, but it, it seems to be that this is much different because 
this oil, natural gas, and coal, they're not going to regrow. And when you can start another civilization based upon wood, you can't do that based upon these fossil fuels because they're, 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 they're not replenished, unfortunately. They're just lower quality and you can't really support this massive, complex global economy on this falling energy return on investment of these fossil fuel energy sources. And I think that's the key factor. Yeah, uh, your, your thesis, I mean, this is a really harsh uh, reality that we, we have to come to to terms uh, with because all of us, you know, all our lives, we were accustomed to one style of life as were our parents and grandparents. And all of this is changing now. Um, I wanted to, I know before we delve deeper into some of this stuff, maybe just to get your take currently on the, um, how you see the economy? You know, some people are saying we're we're seeing super inflation uh, of plus ten percent, and talking about the biggest debt bubble uh, in history. My previous guest, Godfrey Bloom, former um, member of European Parliament and, and who led the way for Brexit, uh, Brexit uh, with UKIP, says everybody is going to have to default, all nations, and he thinks we are on the cusp of the crack up boom. Um, you know, we have then the supply chain issues and, and a whole host of other uh, issues. What's your assessment currently of where the economy is at? Well, you know, I, I it's like I see two I see two different sides. I see the inflation side and I see the disinflation side. You know, here in the United States, I'm going to talk about the United States. And, and actually, actually, we see this in other parts of the world, too. How did we get a housing bubble? And a stock market bubble during a pandemic shutdown. How, how did we how did we run out of homes in the United States during a, a pandemic shutdown? What, you know, and so this is this is a, a very uh, strange situation that we're in, Be and and a lot of it was propped up by a central bank intervention, a uh, massive intervention to prop up. So there was a lot of spending uh, to continue, uh, let's say, purchasing of goods. I think the issue is, I, I, I have this feeling that we're going to see disinflation overall because the underlying factors of the economy are just going to get worse in 2022. Now, we could see inflation of food prices because there are serious problems now with, with food production, with higher uh, fertilizer prices and higher uh, ammonia. And, and, and so, when natural gas prices go up, it really impacts the uh, the agricultural system. So we may see inflation in some goods and foods, but I think we're you know I think the economy is going to roll over still. And if we do get a debt uh, a debt implosion, that is disinflationary. That's deflationary. So my 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 kind of analysis over the year or so i think we're going to see the markets roll over i think we're going to see uh the economic gdp is going to get much weaker next year but we could and i think the housing prices are going to start coming down in the united states and elsewhere but we could see higher prices for things certain things we purchase and I think as time goes on, as this energy cliff expands, we're going to see disinflation of stocks, bonds, and real estate, and inflation of things we consume, food, goods, uh, and precious metals. 
because it's precious metals are a store of energy value, which I talk about a lot. But a lot of these other uh, assets are, I call it, the energy cliff turns a lot of assets into liabilities. So that's kind of how I see the, the situation playing out. Yeah, I've seen other people mention the same, and that's kind of my conclusion as well, that things that we need, like essential things that we need will go up in value, will inflate, as you mentioned, energy and food and and transport and other things, but things that maybe are uh, less essential will 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 deflate, and that's that's really a, a problem. That's going to cause you know that's going to life will become expensive for for everyone. Um, and you mentioned the the pandemic, and so the, for for me, this is you know, I wanted to get your take. Your, your thesis of the energy cliff to me seems to overlap almost perfectly with the current public health measures, which are creating global and national restrictions on travel and energy use, as well as the Great Reset, it's almost as if energy cliff is synonymous with the Great Reset. And then, you know, the, the, the creation of, you know, some people call it pseudo-pandemic, pandemic, it's a great way to mask maybe the real reason for what's going on, which would be the uh, energy cliff. You know, what are your thoughts on the restrictive measures governments are putting into place, uh, talk of this Great Reset to cr- completely remake our societies and whether you know, you think this is linked to the what the real problem is, which is the energy cliff. Before I get into that, I, I want to preface that uh, there's this idea that there's the elite. Um, the elite have been out there kind of manipulating, you know, the Bilderbergers, uh, the Freemasons, um, oh, the, 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 the super wealthy basically are, are using a chessboard to manipulate and control the masses. Well, the thing is, that's been the case forever. You, you could go back to ancient Egypt and the pharaohs, and you can go to the you know the Bronze Age, and you can go to the ancient Roman Empire, and you you go through all these empires and all these civilizations. There's always been elite. That's that's a given. That's never going to change. The, the the difference is the while the elite may control aspects or try to control aspects and control wealth and business. They can't control energy and the falling in the falling energy return on investment. Central banks and the elite are powerless with this falling energy return on investment. So now there's a, there's a notion that the pandemic may be uh, may be manufactured. It was manufactured because they, these elite knew that we're heading into energy problems. So this is the way that they're trying to uh, kind of uh, stop the system from you know, but. We, regardless of whether this is a real pandemic or a fake pandemic, pandemics are going to happen because we had pandemics in history. We had pan- we had pandemics during the ancient Roman Empire, and they didn't they didn't you know they they didn't have scientists going around and you know using high tech ways of of spreading germs. It was just that's that's nature. When you get a lot a, a leverage of people and animals, which you use for consumption. When you get animals and people, millions living together, and then you're traveling quickly, you, pandemics are going to happen. So if we think this is a one, one and done, I think pandemics are just going to get worse. And one scientist that I spoke with, we're now in the age of the pandemic. So this may be just an appetizer for the real pandemics to come down the future, because that's just the way nature behaves. So if we understand that, it doesn't matter what the elite do because the elite are powerless to, to stop this falling energy return on investment cliff. And, and also, 
when during the late Bronze Age, the elite were totally wiped out. Because we have to remember the elite get their wealth and control. They need the, 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 the hundreds, millions, and billions of, of middle class and poor people to give them wealth. When, when the, the system starts to collapse, they lose that wealth and they lose that control. And I think this is an issue that we, we tend to uh, don't understand. So I, I, I lose no sleep about the elite because I think they're in serious trouble. So that's why I always say it's important for people to get back to uh, controlling what they can do with their family and their local area, because that's really all you can do. That's really all we can do. So that's kind of how I see this. So I think I think if we think this pandemic is one and done, I think we're going to see some serious ones coming down the road because of the way this this lev- highly leveraged lifestyle of ours has been has been. Uh, the way we're living right now, it, it it's that's the, how I see the problems that are going to get just worse. And yeah, for regular listeners to this, regular listeners to this podcast, I think they can see that um, a lot of the guests that, that I get on, there, there's a trend in, in some of their core analysis uh, and, and and solutions and, and patterns that they're putting out, such as you just mentioned. You you want to just worry about what's local to you. And I've had many past guests. You know, we're all coming to the same conclusion that you know just worry about and, and to form uh networks local networks communities and, and this sort of thing uh, i wanted to go back to what you mentioned previously about or you touched on this how this energy cliff will uh, uh play out where i, I you know there's a people who think that cra- crash is imminent you know it's going to happen in a few months or you know next year everything's going to collapse uh and you mentioned uh seneca and uh, I'm kind of assuming, and in previous podcasts, you've, you've mentioned this as well, that I think it will be kind of like a slow burn over the next couple of years, no, until 2030. How, how do you see this playing out? There are so many dynamics. Uh, we could say the worst case scenario, it, it could be uh, a very quick collapse because we, you know, we have high tech. And when that breaks down, it, it, it shuts down a lot of systems. So let's say we don't have the worst case scenario, which we could see a very, you know, a, a very quick collapse over a period of, uh, let's say, months, year, a few years. But what seems to be more logical is a slow burn. And then as time goes on, and my number I put out is 2025. My number is 2025 plus or minus a, a year or so is when the energy, that's when we really hit the peak of energy. It could be sooner, but as the years go by, especially U.S. shale production, which was 80% of the growth of the world in the last 10 years, we can thank 80% of global oil production for the U.S. shale. Well, that's going to totally run out, and it is running out, and that's really going to start to collapse uh, 2025 plus or minus. And by 2030, we could see 50 to 75% of that production gone. And then you start adding, Russia's got trouble. Russia is having trouble now. They even come out and said it, that they're, they're going to have real issues maintaining production because they're doing a lot of enhanced oil recovery just to get the oil out now. And so when you start adding all this up, by 2030, I think the world's going to be a much different place. And then you start getting big chunks come off of oil production after 2030. And so 
And then when you when you realize an iPhone needs 55 country supply chain to make it, you you lose one or two of those. You don't get a, you don't get an iPhone. And so there's this idea that the elite are going to control the masses with all this high tech. But you see, you need this very uh, complex interwoven global supply chain to get all the necessary um, raw materials, metals, and, and, and components to make these uh, semiconductors, to make high tech. And when it breaks down, you can't get those. So, uh, you know, it's amazing. All technology is, is using things up quicker and faster. It's not, it's not really better. It, it, all technology is, is using, consuming energy and resources quicker and faster. Because a lot of stuff, a, a shovel, if you get a good shovel, that'll last you if you take care of it. It could last you a generation. A, a computer now, they, you know, if you get two, three years, four years out of them, you know, because they're, they're, they'll break down. And if you drop a shovel out of your two-story window, it'll, it'll survive. A computer, it's toast. So I, I think these are issues we need to understand that high tech is very fragile. And if it starts to break down, you know, there is a kind of an uncertainty how disruptive that could be. And I, I don't quite know, but I still think it's going to be more of a slow burn and it'll pick up speed after 2025. Yeah. Speaking of lap, you know, computers, my laptops are lasting basically three years. I have to replace them. And, you know, finally, I, I think I, I, well, I got a desktop. Um, and you mentioned uh, Russia and I heard you talk about this in the recent podcast. If you could comment on this, how, Russia, as well as other countries now, are looking to the final frontier, right? The Arctic for, for resources. I was just reading China is now building a couple uh, icebreakers. And so they're going to be making their way to the through their polar silk routes to the Arctic. Uh, and that kind of, again, adds more um, evidence to your thesis that why, why are they all going out, out there to the final frontier to get the last resources available? So if you want to comment on that. Yeah, you see, there's this idea of abiotic oil. Uh, it, it, you know, there's all this free, it, it's continuing to be made of abiotic oil that's down in the ground. And supposedly it's in Russia. Well, let me tell you, Russia is doing a lot of horizontal drilling to access uh, their oil. A lot of horizontal drilling, they're just like they, we are in the United States, but we're doing fracking. So they're not, they're not going down deep to get this abiotic oil. They're going to the Arctic. And so, like you say, China is as well. And this is the same thing with, with the, you know, the Romans, ancient Romans going up to the Germanic area to access wood to feed their massive uh, silver gold mining operations because they didn't run out of silver ore in the Roman Empire. They ran out of wood to process or they ran out of good quality wood. And then as they couldn't get enough wood, silver production started to peak and decline. And then they had to maintain this massive uh, ancient Roman empire. So they, they, they debased the silver denarius. It was always the energy that has the symptom of the debasement. Well, it's the same thing that's happening now. We're doing all this debt to offset the debate, the, the falling energy return on investment. So I, I think if you look around and you know, I look at China, China, the more I research China, it is a disaster. If you know, I know the United States is like is kind of similar to the ancient Roman Empire. 
But China is in serious trouble because what, what took us 100 years to do, they've done it in, in two, three decades. And they've done it so quickly. They have just, they have really, they, I don't think, I think China's going to collapse much quicker than people realize. So you're right. Going to the Arctic is, is the last stage. That is, that's like kind of like a, a red warning light that we're now reaching the, uh, the, the peak of this high-tech global economy. And what you mentioned previously about the, the elites not being able to control us in this high-tech global electronic uh, technocracy, that's actually good news if it pans out that way. You know, at least, you know, I will be, will be left alone to our own devices uh, on our farms, uh, and, and we won't have to worry about the living in this global uh, dystopia. And speaking of Russia and China, th this leads me to think what, what you're saying, this, this running out of resources and energy that this will lead to heightened military tensions. So a number of my past guests, such as the, the famed economist Martin Armstrong was talking about, you know, we, we'll see, we could see greater transfer, great power conflict in world wars around 2027. Uh, my other past guest, Brandon Weichart, who write, wrote the book about space uh, wars, he was also aligning with Martin Armstrong talking about 2025. Um, and that's kind of making, when you mentioned 2025, I'm, again, I'm picking up this trend where a lot of smart people are coming to the similar conclusions. And now we're seeing, you know, NATO really pushing Ukraine to start war with Russia. Uh, and then we've got Belarus and then the South China Sea and all of this. So do you see one result of this being greater tensions and, and greater military conflicts? Yes, uh, because that's the way human race has been for thousands of years. We don't really solve things in a more holistic uh, way. We tend to be more, uh, we use anger and self, you know, we're selfish, either as an individuals or as, or as, a, as, as a country or as the elite that control, right? And the elite do control. And we saw this, you know, the battle of the famous battle of Troy, that was the Mycenaeans due to the, the uh, shutdown or the breakdown of copper in the late Bronze Age. The Mycenaeans weren't getting enough copper. And, and so the supply chains were breaking down in the late Bronze Age. So the Mycenaeans went up to Troy, and that was to get a lot of supplies of wood and copper up from the uh, up in the Baltic area, because there's a lot of copper coming up from the Baltic area. So yeah, that 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 the the war of Troy was to protect the sea lane to continue getting resources. And so this is just an ongoing issue. Uh, I, you know, I think, I think the issue is it's going to be very difficult to be able to continue to do these wars because uh, it's going to be a problem of how much energy you have. And, and so I do see more conflict, but if, if we go into conflict, major conflict, that's a major uh, uh, consumption of energy resources of energy at a time when the world is really starting to reach its limits. So it's going to be quite fascinating to see how this plays out. And, you know, even though the United States it still imports a lot of oil, we, we are still producing a lot. And if we had to cut back, the, the country could cut back. China imports most of its energy. It, 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 it imports three quarters of its energy. And so it is actually more critically dependent like Japan was during World War II for its energy. And uh, so you've mentioned previously gold and, and silver, which is a big uh, 
topic. Uh, you've I heard you explain how gold and silver represent energy that has already been spent, you know, in order to produce those ounces of precious metal. And, you know, eventually, as we get closer to the energy cliff, the value of gold and silver will rise. Uh, you know, what's your view on, on gold and silver? I, again, I see a lot of people saying that this is one of the best ways, uh, just long term going forward to kind of hedge and protect uh, your wealth. Well, it, it, I'm going to try to simplify this for your listeners. Uh, it, it's even though there's a lot of economists and the the Austrian school of econo- uh, economists, they're they're very you know keen on the value of real money and 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 they go into all these esoteric terms, you know, uh, and that's fine. But if you, let's make things simple. If energy has always been the foundation of any economy, whether it's human labor, whether it's animal labor, and whether it's wood or other energy resources. So if you're going to do, if you're going to do some kind of uh, labor or use energy, gold and silver have been stores of energy value. Now, they're not stores of energy. They're not a battery, but they're stores of energy value. Because a gold coin takes so much energy to produce it, not just in the, the, the raw energy, but all the materials, the, the mining equipment, the, the mine itself, the cost to, to make, that, uh, make that, construct that mine, and all the labor, uh, you know, that's, that's energy as well. So when you look at the value of gold and silver, 95% or more is basically all the energy and all forms and stages that go into making that gold and silver coin. And so the problem with the treasury a 30-year treasury, you need 30 years of economic, actually economic growth to pay off that 30-year treasury or 20-year or 10-year treasury. And a stock, a typical stock, isn't based on book value. It's based on earnings. It's actually based on growing earnings. And so if you have to have uh, an asset, you should have an asset that's gold and silver that actually stores energy value not a stock or a bond or even real estate, that I call them energy IOUs because they only get their value from the energy and not just burning energy, but growing energy. Because people ask me, well, Steve, well, how does that impact, how does falling energy impact real estate? And I think people just don't think about it. Well, let's say you've got this very busy economy, a city, well, let's, let's just remove half of the energy, half of the oil, and you can only use half the oil. Well, you've just destroyed half of the traffic, the business. It's, it's, it's gone. And that's going to impact business values, commercial real estate, residential real estate, and in the stocks that are based upon those businesses in that, in that city. So when energy falls, so does the value of all those assets. So I call it the mass psychology has not gone off yet, but it's beginning to. And when this energy cliff really starts to work more into into the psyche of investors and and the market, they're going to start moving out of these highly inflated and bubble assets into gold and silver. And so that's kind of how I see it playing out in, in the future. And there's a lot more details to it. But that's 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 the basic common sense why it's important to own physical gold and silver. And for the details, people can subscribe to your report. Uh, I know last year uh, we spoke about 
Bitcoin and, and crypto. And since then, we've got now the, the metaverse and I, I, I'll call it the crypto NFT metaverse utopia. Um, I think you, you consider it a, a pipe dream. Uh, I, I, that's what I see it as. And I, I don't think it's going to be, I think it's linked to what you said before, this kind of high tech system. I, I don't think it's going to pan out as they uh, tell us, especially as, you know, energy issue becomes obvious and, and some of these things come crashing down. I was just reading this week that Kazakhstan, my former home, had uh, initially welcomed crypto miners, but now is having second thoughts as the miners are putting stress on the Kazakh energy grid and Kazakhstan is having to ask Russia for an increased load of electricity. And you know, I, 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 lived, I lived there and they still have like this former Soviet infrastructure and it's, it's fragile. And, and um, you know, what are your thoughts on, on crypto and the metaverse? Well, uh, I, I look at, I look at uh, the semiconductor and, and the cryptos and Bitcoin as the epitome of high tech. And if there's going to be, if you say, okay, look back in history, when was the collapse? When was the peak? Was the semi the, the high tech semiconductor and the crypto that that was you can pinpoint? That's the that's when we reached the peak. Now it, it could it, you know it could go a few more years, but uh, you know if we look at a semiconductor fab plant and they're massive. These things are huge. You see them in Taiwan and around the world. They have their own specialized gas facility. They get gas and then they have to uh, refine this gas because they need to. And there's all there's thousands of miles almost of piping to, to move this gas that helps uh, manufacture the semiconductor wafers. And then there is the uh, uh, the ultraviolet light uh, lithography machine that they're they cost now 150 million they can fit in a room and that's the same price of a new Boeing 737 and this thing it's got 50,000 parts in it now once you get that fab plant running and you got all these people and you've got all these you know because the, the maintenance on just that that lithography machine is ongoing it's just you know ongoing that's the snake. That's the head of the snake, but you need the long tail. That's the entire global supply chain of all thousands of companies that are, are supplying parts and different uh, materials to make that semiconductor fab possible. Well, you see, th that only works when you're burning a lot of energy, and, and now so we we're peaking at that. And I, I've said this before, a Bitcoin miner has to be replaced about every two years. A banking server, the digital banking server that we're all used to now, we don't go to banks anymore, we do banking online, those are replaced every about four years. And then, you know, a, a, a Federal Reserve note, the average note, of, if you do dollars, five, tens, twenties, and hundreds, it's about every eight years that you have to replace that dollar. And now if we go with gold, a gold coin will last about 35 years. But that's just because the face is worn off. You have to bring it back in. It loses a little bit of its, uh, of its wear, but then you remint it. So if you just look at those different uh, currencies, and those are all different forms of currency. One is old-fashioned and, and lasts longer and is slow. The other one is running at 100 miles an hour, and that's Bitcoin. And, and, and let me tell you, you run your car 100 miles an hour, things start 
wheels blow out. And so things start breaking down. And that's how I look at the cryptos, the NFTs. It's kind of like Ready Player One, the movie Ready Player One. People don't want to live in the real world. They want to live in a fantasy world. And that will continue for a while. But let me tell you, uh, that to me is is the typical uh, red warning sign that we've hit the peak of this high-tech global economy. I From day one, I've always felt something off. There was something off with uh, Bitcoin and, and crypto and listeners know this. Um, I continue to use it uh, while I can to receive donations and things like this. But uh, again, I'm like you at long term, I, I'm, I'm very doubtful of it. But, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe it'll be the next Internet 2.0 and, and Amazon and that sort of thing. But um, you mentioned cars. I, I'm just curious. Now we're really starting to see almost all car manufacturers saying they're going to phase out completely the production of gas powered vehicles. And we're seeing countries and, you know, uh, like I think it was Ireland and Japan have announced by 2035, no gas powered cars. And, and some places in, in California are saying they're not going to be approving any more gas station licenses. And, and so, you know, we're now they're pushing us over to this, um, to these electric vehicles, EVs, but it, I, I don't think, I think it's obvious now that there will not be enough energy or electricity to power EVs. So, I mean, what, what's going on here? Pevere, the, the whole green energy movement is a facade. And uh, there's, that's, that, that could be an hour conversation there. But what I, what I uh, to, to make it simple, the green energy is like a Hollywood set. Right. It's, an, you know, you go to a nice Hollywood set, you got all the nice buildings, but behind the building, it's just a facade. It's just nothing there. You know, it looks nice on the outside. Well, you know, a wind turbine is white, looks clean, and then it, it's, the, you don't see black smoke, you know, coming out of the top of it like a coal plant. Uh, or, you know, an EV, there's no emission coming out of it. And then solar panels, they just sit there, you know, so they all, everything looks clean. But now that's what it looks like when it's put on the Hollywood set or when it's, you know, a, a wind farm or a solar farm or a bunch of EVs have just come out of the, uh, the manufacturing plant and they're sitting nicely on the, the dealer lot. They look clean. Everything looks nice. It's like a Hollywood set. But if you go behind the Hollywood set and you travel down the global supply chain, it's dirty. The whole thing doesn't solve the, if there is, if we understand that there is a global climate issue, if that's, if you agree upon that, this doesn't solve that. The green energy doesn't solve it. It actually makes it worse. So let's forget that. The problem is we don't have the fossil fuels to transition to green energy and we don't have the metals. And I, I made this comment in uh, Palisades Radio. The only way we could do that is if we could bring about, you know, about 10 or 12 Earths closer to us and we could mine all the materials. Well, we, we'd have the oil, right? We would, but we would have to mine all the, the metals and materials from those extra Earths to transition to this uh, new green energy future. And we, we, we just don't have them. And so I really think politicians are going to get uh, a wake up call when we start really hitting the energy cliff. Because they're going to abandon this, this, this EVs, uh, because I'm telling you, uh, gasoline cars are going to be around 
And uh, even though the politics are pushing for a transition, I think they're going to have to abandon that because the, the, it's going to be a disaster in, in, in five to 10 years when the world realizes it doesn't have the energy to continue doing it. And what it has done has made the situation worse because we're seeing that in Europe right now. And I'm telling you, I'm really worried about Europeans because I'm looking at the natural gas inventories and they're really falling. And they're, they were they were only 79% of where they should be when the, before the winter hit compared to the last two years. And it's falling even faster than it was in the last two years. And that's due to ramping up green energy and, and using a lot of natural gas to offset the intermittency. So if we add more green energy, it's just going to make it more, more volatile. It's, I tell you, it's a, re it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, you mentioned Europe. Uh, after Kazakhstan, I had planned to move back home to Croatia and in Europe. And uh, after seeing everything that's going on, I said, no, let's go back to the Americas. And now almost on a weekly basis, I'm getting calls and messages from people attempting to escape <laughs> Europe to come down <laughs> to the Americas. So I guess I made the right decision. Um, but j just on the EVs, what do you think, you know, maybe some insight, why do you think then they're pushing us for these EVs? Are they just incompetent, being misled? Like, what's the purpose then to push us to these EVs, which are even worse? You know, that's a good question. I think about this all the time because, you know, there's a lot of very intelligent engineers working in the wind farm industry, wind, wind turbine, wind blade industry, very brilliant people to design these, uh, we're talking 200 meters, we're talking 600 feet with, a, you know, tall wind turbines and blades, you know, they're massive. They're getting now upwards of five megawatts for one single wind turbine. It takes a pretty smart group of people to put that together. It's the same thing with solar and, you know, same thing with EVs. It takes very intelligent people to do that. I think the problem is it's not that there's this grand conspiracy because I talk to people who are, who are a high level engineers and they just don't get it. They, they cannot connect. What they're doing is not a solution. They think it is. So I believe politicians do think this is a real solution. And some of the elite do think this is a real solution. Now, now, maybe some elite don't. And then there's probably, you know, there's, there's, there's never a hundred percent cohesion. There's always infighting amongst the elite as well as uh, amongst different aspects of the intelligent uh, community. But I have no idea because EVs make the situation worse, not better. And we, we just don't have the capacity to, to, uh, to ramp up the batteries to run these EVs, and then you've got to power them by the grid, and the world's grids are at capacity now. So, you know, I, yeah, it, to me, looking back at this, I, I am surprised there's so many intelligent people making so bad decisions, so many bad decisions. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's I, I can't <laughs> I don't understand it. Um, so we covered a lot, you know, gold, silver, energy cliff, uh, EVs, oil, economy. Um, is there any other issue that's important for you at this moment that that's kind of that you're looking at that's pressing on your mind? You know, I, I would say uh, it's it's the 
I don't un, I don't know how fragile the global supply chains can be and how disruptive. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's kind of like when this pandemic started last year. I saw some videos coming out of China that looked pretty horrifying to me. You know, I don't know if they were overblown, but then I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this hasn't hit the United States yet. You know, the markets are still kind of drifting higher. Then three, four weeks later, it all starts to fall apart. Right. And then they start shutting everything down. Now, let's just say this was an appetizer. This was this was really anything. What happens if there's another pandemic? That, you know, that it's not a virus. It's, it's you know, it's kind of like the bubonic plague or it's kind of like, uh, you know, the black plague or, 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 you know, the Spanish flu. We're talking, you know, that, that thing killed you in a day. That thing killed you in a day. We have no idea. So it's the uncertainty of what could come that could really seize up the global supply chain. Because we have gone away. I remember where I used to live. And, you, you know, uh, there was a uh, back in the 70s in, in this one county that I, I lived in Utah, there were 40 dairies. Now there's only three. There's a small one, uh, a medium sized one and a large one. Well, what happens when that large one, for whatever reason, goes down? You don't have any milk, basically, because that one is producing 90, 90% of the milk. That's what we have gone to. We've gone to big and bad. And it's unfortunately, it was better when it was 40 of them, because if one or two went down, you've got, you still had 36 or 37 of them. And this is the problem. That's my biggest concern, Evoyer, is the, it is how this, this big is better could be bad. And I don't know how, how much that could impact our, our living arrangements. I guess we'll have to go uh, medieval again, each get our own cows for, to make our own cheese, butter, uh, milk, and, and hamburgers. Uh, one of my last questions is, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking of even my current living arrangement, and it's really difficult to prepare for the energy cliff. You know, it, now it's easy to, you hop in a car, you can go visit family and friends in a half hour, one hour, or whatever. And if we go to this, you know, Go off the energy cliff. I don't even know how will we. How will I be able to go visit uh, people? Maybe I'll have to relocate closer to, to family and friends and just everyday life. It's it's going to be crazy. So, what are some key ways? Uh, you know, people can prepare for the energy cliff. You know, what are some key uh, principles just off the bat? You you, you would uh, tell people to kind of prepare for what's coming. You know, I don't like to uh, spook people or you know. Uh, you know, call fire, you know, yell fire in, in a theater, but just looking at it logically, if there's going to be problems with energy and there will be, that means uh, the biggest centralized areas are probably going to be the, the, the ones that I would stay away from the most. These are big cities and big suburbs. So what makes logical sense is it, it's probably wise to start figuring out how to move away from that. And everybody can't, and that's unfortunate. But it, you know, a lot of people are not even looking in this direction. They're, you know, but if if you can't afford to do that, then look for family and friends that would allow you, because that's what I see happening anyhow. When this energy cliff starts to hit, people, families are going to start living back with themselves again. You may see two, three families in one home, 
even if they're still in the suburb, because that makes it easier to survive than three families and three homes. You got one, three families and one home. And then you just have to, you know, you make do as best you can. That I see that happening. And, but that's better to happen out in the country where there's more room and there's more ability to control. Control your, is as much as the food that you can grow yourself and to try to live on less energy. Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen overnight. This could be the slow burn, which probably seems to be the more realistic. But that, that would give people opportunity to start making a transition as best they can. And so that's how I kind of see it is, and, and you know, I, I've actually done interviews with James Kunstler, and uh, he's right. He, he saw, I think he was about a decade early, mm-hmm. but um, I think he, he's right that it's time to start moving. And I do think one real estate value that will hold very well is rural real estate. And, and not farmland, not commercial farmland. That's going to be a disaster. But smaller farmland that's more organic or more naturally farmed, not with the use of pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, natural gas fertilizers. We're talking the old-fashioned way. And you can really only do that on a smaller scale. You can't do that on a 1,000 acres like we're doing now. That gets into serious trouble. So I'm not talking that that real estate's going to get that farmland's going to get into serious trouble. But the smaller farms, I think that's where people are going to start logically going back to and and and, and reestablishing that more local way of, of living. Even though we can have regional, we will probably have regional economies. We'll still have regional, but the, the global economy, the super global economy, uh, the, the days are numbered. Yeah, and what you mentioned about families, you know, in Central Asia where I lived, people there's uh, they still li- live that way because of the economic uh, situation um, where, where families live together. And I don't necessarily see anything bad in that. And especially if you have kids, you kind of need the grandparents uh, around. It's, it's it's pretty essential. And um, I, I'm a, I'm a bit of a minimalist myself, and I, I think we do need to get used to less of this crazy hyper American. A consumption pattern and to lower our standards of living in in a certain way not, not the way that uh, you know that the great reset Klaus Schwab people <laughs> tell us where you won't eat meat and you know this sort of thing but just in a reasonable manner to to you know we, we don't need a lot a lot of the things that we think we need we don't um if you have any final thought for us uh, and then as well tell us where we can find your work yeah uh, thanks again now People ask me, well, Steve, how do you know we're getting close to the energy cliff? Well, the best way to know that is to look at what's happening with the uh, oil, uh, with the energy inventories in in different different countries and different areas around the world, like Europe and, and, and Russia. You know, it's funny, Russia, people say, well, this was a big conspiracy, Russia holding back natural gas. I mentioned this in a few interviews. Russia had, they were down to 19% of their inventories of natural gas in April. That, that they, I think they were actually kind of panicking because it was a very cold winter. And so then they had to really, uh, you know, stock up their own natural gas. And that's, that's, that's actually wise, right? You got to take care of your own people first. So it's important that they focus on building their natural gas supplies for their winter. Well. 
we have to look at these changing energy inventories around the world. And, you know, Biden said that they're, you know, we're going to do a 50 million barrel uh, sale of the uh, SPR. Well, it's actually, it's been falling for, for months now. It's been falling for months. So when we see these inventories falling, and sometimes they'll, you know, d- depending on the time of the year, they'll grow, they, they grow again. But when you see them, the trend, the, they're just moving lower and lower and lower. When the strategic reserves get so low, that's when you're going to seriously see price volatility. We haven't got there yet. So that's a very key part to look at. And we try to provide, I'm going to be providing this information for the SRS Rock Report subscribers to give a better idea what's happening throughout the world with these energy inventories, because they'll give us a gauge of how much closer we're getting to this energy cliff. And again, that's the reason why I'm a very big supporter of gold and silver, um, because of the it's the number, it's the number one asset to protect wealth. And I believe this energy cliff is going to transition the investors or those people investing in the world from building wealth. That's done. That's that's over. We're not going to be able to build wealth. Some people may, but overall, we're going to go from building wealth to protecting it. And you can't protect it in stocks, bonds, and real estate. Those values are going to fall. So, if you come to the srsrockreport.com, I also have the SRS Rock Report YouTube channel. We put out uh, some free articles and we also put out the silver and gold member content to, to kind of give the details of how I see this playing out in the future. All right. I'll, I'll include all those links in the description. And, you know, that's why I bring people like, like yourself on uh, this podcast is about you know, trying to assess the truth of, of what's going on, where we where we are in, in the economy and in politics and in war and, and science and technology and everything. And people can see a trend. You know, I think you're you're getting it. And, and others like yourself, James Howard Kunstler, who's been twice on the podcast. And recently I spoke to Matt Smith, who works with Doug Casey, the international man and, and others like that, where you know, there's a lot of evidence coming together that, you know, this is kind of like the thesis of what's really going on. And so everyone check out SRS Rocco report. The links are in the description. And thanks for uh, being back uh, uh, again on geopolitics and empire, Steve. Okay. Maybe sometime next year, uh, in the middle of the year, we should uh, touch base again, because I think uh, we'll have some interesting things happen in the next six to eight months. If the internet is still functioning, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast, as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. YouTube has deleted some of our videos, and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account. Facebook has restricted our page and Reddit has been the leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute, and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, 
leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else, subscribe to all our platforms, and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.